0: Well, it's been sweet to worship the Lord already in the ways we've done so now also with eagerness. Let's turn into the scriptures back into first Peter. We're in chapter three and in a few moments we're going to pick up in verse eight and it is July 4th and our minds are on picnics and if you can find some tonight, fireworks and of course our minds rightly are on the idea of independence. July 4th, a day when we can celebrate America, but even at the same time while being deeply concerned for America. It's a very interesting time to live in the land of the free when some of our most precious liberties are clearly under assault. I think about freedom of speech, Uh, I don't think we have the sense that we really have freedom of speech in these days. Not if you have a divergent view from the prevailing views of the sexual revolution. So if you have a different idea, you know that it's not really safe. It's not really welcomed here to speak, even in love, what the scriptures say. So it already feels like that the freedom of speech is eroding. But at the same time, this freedom of religion that we've enjoyed since our founding, we can tell that's clearly... On the line in these days, we wonder if it'll mean anything other than a name much longer because there's legislation on the state level targeting against religious liberty on the federal level as well. Perhaps you've seen in the news, there is a college, a Christian college that's having to sue our own federal government to get them not to impose their, their new morality on their Christian dormitories at their school. You feel like, I I don't know how much longer we'll have these precious liberties. But here's what we want to consider today, again, that even if our most cherished American liberties were to fall, we as the exiles of God on the earth, we're still going to stand. And that's why we've been calling this series Thriving in Exile. We are not gonna be people fearful, but even in these days, our sovereign God has placed us on the earth in this nation at this time And so regardless of what happens in our land, we are still going to be the people who are confident in Christ. We're going to maintain our courage in Christ, even our joy in the Lord as we fulfill his purpose for us on the earth. Indeed, we we aspire to thrive in these days, regardless what's coming. Because it's true. This book of the Bible tells us we are exiles. But do you remember, we're told we are elect exiles. We are the chosen people of God for such a time as this. And so our eyes are on the Lord. Now remember, Peter's first hearers of these words were in the first century Roman empire. We're talking about AD 62, AD 63. And these Christians are being exhorted to stand strong in Christ, graciously for Christ in the midst of hostility that we know is gonna ramp up even more under Nero's persecution in AD 64. But here we are in our days and we think, thank you, Lord, that we have a playbook, how to live in days with rising difficulties. And so let's go now back into the word of God. Let's look together first Peter three verses eight through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary, bless. For to this you have been called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever wishes or desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who, who do evil. First, I want you to notice with me here, a call to protect the unity of the church. There's a call here to protect the unity of the church. That's verse eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. When Peter begins this section with the word finally, he's linking you back to what he's been teaching here. And we've seen in recent weeks, these grand themes, uh, things like this where we're supposed to have a sense of honor and submission appropriately really in every relationship in our lives. That at the same time, we're to be keenly aware of our testimony as a watching world observes us living out this honor in our relationship. So we can say it this way. We've seen already that we are to be peacemakers in the culture, even in submission when we can to our governing authority. That we are to be peacemakers in our places of work, even in rightful submission to our employers so far as we can. That we're to be peacemakers in our homes in rightful honor and submission in that relationship in our houses as the word of God has taught us. But now Peter says, let's just speak in summary terms. And let me just say this. He says, all of you, here's what you all should do in every facet. And so we're gonna apply these verses in every relationship of our lives. But it does seem that Peter has turned our eyes now back to the fellowship of believers, particularly in a local church. Peter here seems to list for us the key elements necessary for Christian unity in our relationships together as brothers and sisters. Notice he mentions here, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And we're gonna look at these words in just a moment, but let's just pause here and say, this idea of preserving unity has never been more important than it is right now. We recognize the context of our lives here in this nation. It seems that the spirit of the age is division that there are strong voices in our culture calling for the division of people, either on the basis of income or on the basis of race being called for division on the basis of gender or for people also just having a, any hostility and every hostility against people of faith, Christian or otherwise, we just get the sense that there's a wedge being driven in every area of the culture to split people apart from one another. By contrast to that ugliness, God has given us a beautiful message, this gospel, that we point people to Jesus who can make all people into one people. It's Jesus who's building for himself a people, one people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that's what we get to bring out into this divided world. Uh, Our rallying cry, our message is, oh, Jesus could bring us together. So there's a spirit though of division in the age. And sometimes we even see it in our broader denomination at a time where I think we should be more unified than ever, still standing on the Bible. We still have these great six seminaries on the scripture, these great sending agencies, North American Mission Board, International Mission Board should be more unified than ever. But it seems to be some efforts the evil one trying to break open division there. You and I want to resist that. Now, the area we're responsible for resisting division is our local church that God has entrusted to us in these days. And we're told, how do we hold together in an age of division? Well, first of all, told here, we're to have unified minds, unified minds. Look at verse eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. The new American standard Bible translates that word here. Harmonious. The the Greek word here literally has the idea of really having a harmony of thinking to have the same mind, to be like minded. So as believers in a local church like ours, we're to be thinking the same things. We're to be believing the same things. And that's why I remind us regularly that we have three things that we really do look to and say, this is what unites us as a local church. We talk about our unity is built on our shared love for Jesus. Our unity also is, is built on our shared confidence in the scriptures. And our unity is built on our shared commitment to the great commission. So of course we have secondary differences, maybe third tier differences. And we're a big family with different ideas about things. But when it comes to what holds us together in this beautiful unity, our shared love for Jesus, our shared confidence in the word of God, our shared commitment to the great commission. Now, somebody might ask, well, do you have a more detailed statement Of faith because to say you have confidence in the scriptures what do you mean by that and we actually do in our constitution constitution and bylaws we've we've affirmed even there that we affirm the baptist faith and message 2000 which is a great statement it speaks to a lot of things uh, most notably our stance on the scriptures that we hold to the inerrancy of scripture that we mean in those 66 books of the bible when originally written free from any error And so we have a high regard for the word of God that you've all noticed. It's one of our rallying cries there. But this Baptist faith and message that we affirm also speaks to what a biblical marriage is. It speaks to the sanctity of human life, speaks to our passion for evangelism and missions, all that there, we say, we affirm that. By the way, if you wanna read more about that on our, on our page on the website about us, you can look there and click the link for the Baptist faith and message 2000. It's a great statement and we affirm that. So we're just making the point here as we protect the unity of the local church, we're to have the same mind. We're to be focused on the same things. So in these essentials, we have unity here. And in those second tier type of issues that come along, differences of opinion and preference, all that stuff's gonna happen, then we give grace to one another in those things. But this issue of preserving and protecting unity is not just a matter of the mind, though it is that, it's also a matter of the heart. And so I wanna us consider now this, we've talked about having unified minds, but let's call it this, let's also have affectionate hearts affectionate hearts. Look at these next three words that Peter uses. Let's, let's put these under that umbrella. He mentions sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart. Let's talk about sympathy a, a second. That means to be sympathetic toward each other or compassionate toward each other, to actually care for each other. Doesn't the scripture command us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice? So try that word on a second as you just apply this to your heart, your life in this body of believers. Do you have sympathy for other brothers and sisters in the life of the church? Could you say in your heart, yeah, I have genuine compassion for these folks around me. I'm concerned for them. Maybe you say, not really. I just show up once a week and then I don't think about these folks again until next Sunday. Listen, if that's the case, ask God to lift up your eyes beyond just your own very real needs that you would consider the needs of the other people in this body of believers where God has planted you. Make sure that you have a genuine concern for other people. So he talks about here having sympathy here. Also, he uses the word brotherly love. The Greek word here is philadelphoi. We get our word Philadelphia from that. We've heard all our lives about the city of brotherly love. Well, that's the word that's used here, brotherly love. He used the same word already in this letter in 1 Peter 1.22, remember this? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, here it is, for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we're just talking about protecting our unity as a church, having the same mind, now having affectionate hearts, and we're sympathetic toward each other and having a brotherly love. Twelve times in the New Testament, at least, those words love one another in that order are given to us in the scripture. All kinds of other exhortations to love each other, but just that way of saying it alone, love one another over 12 times. Here's one example, Jesus in John 13, 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So we know that, we've known that verse our whole lives, love one another, but we are to live that out with each other in the church. So try that word on for just a moment. You've tried on sympathy, compassion for others. Do you have a sense of brotherly love for your brothers and sisters here in the church? He uses a third word here that we're putting under this idea of having affectionate hearts. He talks about having a tender heart. I think once again, that idea of compassion. Paul used the same word in Ephesians 4.32. He said, be kind to one another. Here it is. Tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we're to have a unity of mind. We're to have affection of heart toward each other. But also this, we are to have a humble spirit in the church. Now think with me, having a humble spirit in a church is indispensable if we're gonna be unified together. We can't be arrogant thinking we're better than each other and hope to have any idea of unity until Christ comes. Now, how do we maintain a mindset and and an atmosphere of humility. Oh, it's by never moving off of the gospel. When you never lose sight of who you were when Jesus found you. That's why it's so critical we do observe the Lord's Supper together, but every day bask in the grace of God that I know how bankrupt I was when Jesus found me. There's no way I can think I'm better than somebody when I'm a sinner who has been rescued by unfathomable grace of Jesus that I can't even fully understand. So I have to relate to people out of this whole posture of humility. So I think about our church and I think this is true of us, I believe. As I think about interactions in the church over these years, I think, yes, there is a culture at Staples Mill of what I would call gospel humility. Now I gotta be careful here, right? Because I'm almost about to brag on our humility. It's a weird moment, isn't it? Like, is he bragging about how humble the church is? But I think I am declaring what I believe to be true because we just talked about why are we unified? We have a shared love for Jesus. And so that's the atmosphere here. It's why you got up in the morning. It wasn't for some personality up here. It was because you love Jesus. You you love your savior who's washed your many sins away. So you come with an attitude of humility. That's true of all the leaders of the church. It's true of all our musicians, our our life group leaders, and, and everybody I interact with. Nobody is strutting around here. I hope when people visit with us, they pick up that very sense. There's no ego here. This is all because of Jesus. This is all for Jesus. It's beautiful and it's essential for us to have in the unity of our church. Now this is also fun to think about that the greatest example of humility that any of us can think of is the greatest person who ever lived. Think of it with me. So we're pointing in the scripture, we're pointed toward Jesus. God, very God in human flesh, the second person of the Trinity, as great as he is, king of kings, lord of lords, and yet we look at this one who's the greatest of all, and he's also the greatest example of humility. Famously, Philippians 2 talks about this. Hear this with me. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And that sounds like 1 Peter 3. Hear the harmony of the Bible. But here in Philippians 2, it continues. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we've already seen here in 1 Peter, Jesus, the greatest example of submission. Jesus is the greatest example of humility here. So as we relate to each other, With this calling to protect the unity of a church, it has to be, we share the same mind. We share this affection of heart for each other and we maintain the spirit of humility here, all focused on Christ. So we are called to protect the unity of the church. But notice there's another calling here, a call to pursue peace in a hostile world. You and I as believers are called to pursue peace in the midst of a hostile world. So Peter now lifts our eyes from the beauty of the fellowship we're to protect. Now to look again at our context in a difficult world where there's aggression coming inbound, there's abuse coming inbound. And we see now how do I respond to all that hatred in the world coming at us as believers? Verse nine, look at it. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this, you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Peter said, here's another way in which you have been called. We've seen this already in first Peter. We've seen that we've been called to Christ himself. We've been called to be holy as God is holy. Chapter one, verse 15. in first Peter two, nine, we saw we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. In chapter two, verse 21, we've been called to suffer for him like him. And now here, chapter three, verse nine, we are called to bless others, even when they are bringing hatred inbound to us. So we're told there's something we must never do. We must never return evil for evil. We must never revile when we're being reviled, but we're told something we must do in those occasions. We must bless. And that word that Peter uses is a word that has to do with your speech. You're gonna bless back with the way you respond. So this week, considering that truth, just marveling again, how that teaching of not returning evil for evil evil is throughout the scriptures. I want you to see how fundamental this is to our walk as Christians. And so bear with me. I want you to hear these examples. So listen to these, just several of these. How about Matthew five forty four? the words of our savior. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6, 27 through 29. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for one who's, who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Or Luke six thirty five. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Listen to this one. This is Romans 12, 14 and following. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. with good, just one more example. First Corinthians four twelve, And we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. And when persecuted, we endure. I want you to see with me. I wanted to walk through those passages, hear, hear how prevalent this is, how unmistakable it is. So here's our strategy. So what's God's strategy for me in a world that's getting hostile? Here's our strategy. When people strike at us with their words, we're not, we're not striking back. Now, of course, we can take some defensive measures. We can explain things and all that. We can also come to the aid of other people being mistreated, of course. But, but when, when the attack's coming inbound, we don't go on the attack back. We seek to bless in response to hatred coming in. Remember, Jesus said words like this, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. So that's our strategy. See with me how foundational this is to Christianity. There's no other way that God tells us we're supposed to respond in a climate like this. In fact, our goal is we wanna bring the gospel of peace into a world that's full of hatred and division that we're seeing. So we can never lose sight of our gospel concern for the very people who are trying to persecute us. In fact, we need to remind ourselves, You know, we used to be on their side. Every one of us, before we came to Christ, we were once on their side. Now, we may not have been chanting the same things they're chanting and acting exactly like them, but, but in our lives, all of us, before we surrendered to Jesus, we were hostile to him. For some of us, it looked more like indifference, but nevertheless, in practice, it was resisting the will of God. It was resisting the Lordship of Jesus because we had, an, we had another agenda. So we can't forget that, that these very people are being hateful. These sinners are acting like sinners, and we used to be just like them. So now we have to have maintain compassion for them. So a life of anger and retaliation to all the anger coming inbound will make it very difficult for us to share the gospel with them that we've been mandated to take to them. So, so never think that you're on God's side when you are reviled for Christ, that you then in your flesh respond in anger back to them. You think I'm just defending the Bible, but you're trying to defend the Bible by disobeying the Bible. You're showing you don't believe it as much as you thought you did. You don't like this part because what comes naturally to us in this time of attack is I want to attack back. That's what our flesh does. That's the before Christ us. But he's called us to a very different response. When we're cursed, we're bringing blessing back. Listen, if we respond like that, we're showing that we're in disobedience to the scripture. He told us to be holy like he is holy. And here he so clearly told us, here's our response, bless in return. Hear it again. The very words of God, verse nine, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this, you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So let's pause here. And we would say, this is, this is impossible. Who can respond like this when they're hated and cursed and reviled? We say it is, it's humanly impossible. But you and I are temples now of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The same one who inspired these impossible words now lives in us. And if we're full of him, this is how we will respond. This is, this is why we're called to this. It reminds us that since you and I cannot manufacture a response like this in our natural flesh, then we have to be pressing into Jesus. I love how the scripture talks about it, being full of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so critical every day that you meet with God alone. That you get aside with him in the Bible, in prayer, spend time with him where you empty yourself of you and all your sin. You ask the Holy Spirit to take up his life in you and live his life through you that includes this. This is where, in that time with the Lord, if you know your enemies' names, if they've already made themselves known to you, who's coming for you, then you're praying for your enemies by name there in that time in God's presence before you face the day that you can pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're surrendering everything, and then you're rising up to walk this life out in the day. So we've been talking about how we're to protect the unity of the church. We've been talking about how to pursue peace in a hostile world by taking the gospel out into this world. But then this, there's a promise of a blessing here. If we can rise up in faith and believe God, "I, I wanna live this life that you've called me to. Notice the promise of blessing here. Verse nine again. He says, do all this that you may obtain a blessing. So if you'll bless with your mouth, other people, when they're coming with hostility at you by pointing to Christ, the Lord says, and I, I'm going to bless you. What we see in verses 10 through 12 is actually a quotation of the 34th Psalm. Look at verse 10 again. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So in a hostile world, you and I keep our eyes on Jesus, confident that his eyes are on us. Don't you love that? He says, my eyes are open toward you. I love the next part of it. My ears are open to your prayer. If you remember last week's passage, we saw where husbands were told, listen, if you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, if you don't treat her as a joint heir, then your prayers will be hindered. Well, this is the opposite of that. This is the man and woman who's all in walking with Jesus, eyes on Jesus and look, my eyes are on you and my ears are open to your prayers. There's intimacy here. There's your blessed life as you obey and follow the Lord, trusting him to live this out. So where you have the mindset, I don't need to try to defend myself in an ungodly way back. I'm trusting God. His eyes are on me and he is against those who are in wickedness. I can trust God to get this right. I don't need to join the fray in an ungodly way. I can speak the truth in love. I can contend for the faith in a way that would please the Lord. So here folks, let's consider this. Let's gear up to bless others who curse us. Let's have our hearts Minds, mouths ready to bless when we are reviled. In fact, we might even need to rehearse it. Maybe you play these scenarios in your head. All right, next time somebody tells me that I'm a hater because I believe the scriptures, next time somebody's inclined to say, well, you're just a bigot, what would I say if somebody brought that to me in a one-on-one conversation? How would I respond to that? Well, we've already taken off the table. I can't retaliate in my sinful anger. But I can say, all right, they say I'm a hater. If I'm having a one-on-one conversation, I can say, oh, oh, goodness, no. I don't hate you. I don't hate anybody. I, I want the best for everybody. I believe what God has said in his word is, is simply the best. And I want everybody to have- that I come from a place of love there. Now, we're not naive. Sometimes people don't want to even hear that. No matter how nice you say it, it might all shut down right there and go horribly. But listen, what we've done is, I'm, I'm speaking blessing back in here. But have in your mind, all right, I'm going to rehearse this. Where I want this conversation to go, I want it to go from that, I want it to go to the gospel. So what, if, so what if I had the opportunity to say, hey, do you have a moment where I can show you from the scriptures what God has said about sin and how there's forgiveness for everybody who turns to Jesus? Can I show you that? And then I'd be ready. Where would I go? I'd want to go to places like 1 Corinthians chapter 6. To go to those places which, which they might think are controversial, but I want to show you, how God calls all kinds of things sin. But he will cleanse you if you turn from that and come to Jesus, the one who died on the cross. I I would want to bring blessing by bringing the gospel into this conversation. Or maybe we go to Romans chapter six, where we talk about the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I I would want to bring the gospel in and and see what the Holy Spirit might do in that encounter. Let's Let's gear up for that. Let's get our minds ready to speak blessing even when hatred's coming inbound. So do you hear the exhortation today from this part of 1 Peter? Let's hold together in beautiful biblical unity in a world that's intent on dividing everybody. And let's go out into this world bringing peace to other people. So far as it depends on us, the scripture says, but intent on sharing the gospel that brings men and women together. Let's do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me.